You're listening to Inside the Park with Marky Mark. Hey, yo, what's up? This is me, Marky Mark. And now, coming at you live from the Massachusetts Daily Collegian, here's your host, Mark Jean-Louis. And welcome back to another episode, this Monday episode of Actually Inside the Park with Marky Mark. We're the only podcast in the Pioneer Valley that covers all the bases. I'm your host, Mark Jean-Louis. To my left is Jesse Mayfield Sheehan. Jesse Mayfield Sheehan, sorry. You give him enough tries, eventually he gets it. <laughs> yeah, it took me about two tries to get that one, but uh, Jesse, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, it's a beautiful day, um, spring's on the way, baseball is coming up, Kentucky lost in the Final Four, so it's just a beautiful day Do you day mind? Do you mind? Uh, I mean, I was going to start off the show about banding about my dating life, but because Kentucky lost yesterday, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I'm going to start talking about what I've been involved with all season long. So, uh, so you go back all the way to July, was watching Kentucky, taking on all these um, national teams on TV, on ESPNU and the SEC Network, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, with all the talent that they have on this team, they could very well win the national championship, but no! I mean, I, I, had to, I couldn't stop there. I told myself, I made a bet with my friend. Ernie, congratulations, you won the bet. I'll send that check out for you a little bit later. But made, I made a bet saying that, all right, not only is Kentucky going to win the national championship, they would go 40-0 and doing so, which means that they would win every single game of the season going to the national championship game. And, well, for 38 of those games, I was right. And then last night happened. Yeah. Tell, t- tell them how much you bet, Mark. Tell them how much you bet. So yeah, $200 is... Uh, going to be lost from my bank account on this one. Again, it's going to be the worst $200, worst, worst $200 check I'm going to ever have to make out of my entire life, but congratulations, Ernie, you jerk, you won the bet, you won the bet. Happy now? I, I, I'll give you this, Mark, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people that lost a lot more money than you did betting on March Madness. Fair enough, I mean, at least I'm not one of those people in Vegas that probably had millions upon millions upon millions of dollars riding on, on Kentucky going 40 you know, For anybody that did lose millions of dollars in this one, well, so sorry for you, but, you know, personally to me, this $200, ugh. When I write the check out later, I'm, it's going to be one of the worst checks I'm going to... It's still one of the worst checks I have to write out. Let, let this be a lesson to you, kids. Gambling is not smart. Le- learn this lesson from our host, Mark Jean-Louis. Gambling is not smart. I was one day away, Jesse. Just one day away you from winning two, it all. You were two days away. Yeah, two's close, you, you, to, two's close to one. Close you up. can't round down two to one. Math, I don't math does care. not work that way. It's I not how math don't works. Care right now. Don't, care, don't care right now. Basically, all I, was, I was getting ready to come in on Wednesday wearing a 40-0 shirt and wearing a Kentucky hat saying, oh yeah, I won the bet. Yeah, that's going back to the trash. But let, yeah. now let's get into the show now. Absolutely. Although I, although I gotta say, it's a little disappointing we don't get to hear about your dating life. I guess that'll have to be for next time, huh? Yeah, perhaps on another episode when I'm starting to feel a little up again. Once I start forgetting about... Once <laughs> you, I start, you would say up, wouldn't you? Yeah, when I forget about Kentucky. But, you, you know, we have a show that we need to get into today. So, in case for anyone who missed it, there was a Final Four yesterday where the appetizer was Michigan State versus Duke. Really, Michigan State, as much of an incredible run that they made, 20-point loss to Duke. So, I mean, really, there was just really sort of no... Nothing exciting that you can take away from that game, but of course, you know, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Kentucky pulls up what every other team this season couldn't do. Sorry, Wisconsin pulls up what Kentucky couldn't do, uh, what every other team couldn't do this season. They beat Kentucky, so let me just start with you, Jesse. What were your thoughts on the Final Four? Well, I mean, as you said, it wasn't as exciting a game with Michigan State and Duke. It's it's really kind of sad. You know, you see a lot of this with March Madness. You see the bigger upsets, mm-hmm. you know, happening in the earlier rounds or maybe the mid-rounds. Every once in a while, you know, you see a team like maybe 
Butler or something like that running all the way to the championship, and those are just some of the more fun March Madnesses. Uh, everybody to loves watch. that Butler Every, team that almost loves, beat Duke. Everybody loves that Butler team. Unfortunately mm-hmm. for them, Brad Stevens is now coaching the Celtics. Um, but no, um, tough end for Michigan State. You know, Duke just took them and just kind of dominated them. I mean, I think people kind of forget that early on, Michigan State actually held a lead for them uh, in the first few minutes of the game. Um, but Duke just, you know, kind of brought the fire. I mean, I guess that early lead lit a fire under their pants, and they're like, oh, yeah. We're supposed to beat these guys. And then Duke just kind of became Duke. They became the number one seed playing the number seven seed. And then uh, they just took it and ran with it and won by about 20 points. 20 points, yeah. 81 to 61. But that's really the thing about Michigan State. It's like you saw Michigan State. They were able to get past Georgia. We all saw that coming. Then they were able to power their way past uh, the number three ranked team in the country in Virginia, which you know people saw that happening too since Virginia can sometimes can't even score 52 points a game. But really after that, were they supposed to get past Oklahoma? Probably not. Were they supposed to get past Louisville after that? Absolutely not. But they did it anyways. We all had to see this magic carpet ride coming to an end at some point, right? And, well, when you go up, when you have to go up against the ACC's best in Duke, kind of happens like that. Always seems to end with Duke, doesn't it? Whether it's uh, Butler or Michigan State, it always seems to be Duke spoiling everyone's uh-huh. fun. UNLV this, in 1991 when this, UNLV had an undefeated season This is season why everybody year. hates Duke and why everybody mm-hmm. hates Christian Leitner. Have you seen that documentary yet? I have it's, seen that it's documentary. A it's a good I one. hate I, Christian Leitner, too. Gets my seal of recommendation. Yep. But um, uh, Let's move to the, let's other, move game. To the other game. Wisconsin-Kentucky. Wisconsin-Kentucky. Now, this this was definitely the highlight, or for you, perhaps, the, the low, low light, Mark. <laughs> um, but this was a fantastic game. I know you were just telling me just what an amazing game it was, how it was just back and forth, exactly what you want in a sporting event. You know, one team goes up, the other one ties it and then goes up, the other one ties it then goes up. Just a back and forth contest between two really talented basketball teams. That's exactly what you want, you know. Um, you know, Kentucky may have faltered at the end, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to recognize just what a fantastic season they've had and what a great run they gave. Um, I mean, they gave not, they did not just the dominant wins, they got a lot of close wins. They really fought out um, for the first 38 games, and they fought out in this game, too. They put in a, a great effort, and as disappointing as it is to not come away with a championship, to not come away 40-0, i got to hope that at least they can take away something from how great this season is, and I hope they can keep their heads held high. I know uh, John Calipari said after the game, he said, I think the biggest problem is, is going to be perspective, and I hope these kids will keep the, this in perspective. And, and I, I hope so, too. I hope these kids can keep it in perspective, just what an amazing season they've had and how hard they've played and what a show they've given to all the college basketball fans this year. you got to remember, because <clears throat> Kentucky, they won 38 games this season. When's the next time we're going to see Ken- another team win their first 38 games in a row this season? Probably not for a very, very long well, time. G- given the average rates, it seems like it's going to be about another 24, 25 point years. Being, <laughs> the point being, though, it's like you really got to give a lot of credit to Wisconsin because even though Kentucky is by far the most athletic team in the country, Wisconsin, I'd seen them play all, pretty much all season long, too. They are a brilliant basketball team. They play the game in a very smart way, and it really showed last night when when uh, Wisconsin, even though they were down by five in the early parts of the game, they didn't foul, they didn't create too many stupid turnovers that was out of the first half, and when they really need to put some points on the board, they never backed down from Kentucky, and they were able to take it from them. Only held Kentucky to five three-point attempts during the entire game, and that was sort of a thing that's a sort of a part of their game that sort of just revitalized itself towards. The end. Well, towards the end of the season, going to the SEC tournament to the NCAA tournament. Now, yeah, going going ahead now to the 
national championship game between Wisconsin and Duke. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, first off, you know, this is just going to be a fantastic game. You know, definitely going to be a great championship game. I mean, Duke is just one of those traditional teams you all like to see in, that is always in the championship and is always going to give a great fight. Wisconsin just coming off this great win from Kentucky. They're going to have a lot of momentum going for them. Um, so I think it's going to be a fantastic game. It's hard to pick a winner. I don't think there's any clear winner between these two. What do you think? I mean, right now, as Vegas stands, I actually looked at the Vegas betting line earlier today, and it's actually an even. It's a true pick So even Vegas, they don't even wow. know exactly who's going to win this game. Even. Now, that just tells you what a great mm-hmm. game this is going to be. So I'm telling you, even check though, this yeah. one out, people. Exactly. Even though, you know, probably the entire nation wanted to see Kentucky taking on Duke, the team that, you know, the team that everybody wants to see lose versus the team that everybody already hates, <clears throat> you're still going to get a fantastic matchup here with... Uh, Wisconsin versus Duke, <clears throat> you, especially at the center position where you got the National Player of the Year, Frank Kaminsky, going up on Jaleel Okafor. You got um, Tyus, Com- uh, Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook going up against Gosser and Koenig. There's, and you, you got to imagine that, you know, Duke's probably going to want to play big in this game, so they might start uh, Emil Jefferson versus Sam Decker. I'm watching the clock, don't worry about it. And so I think that really that matchup between Emil Jefferson and Sam Decker might actually be the difference maker in that one. I would definitely take Sam Decker over Jefferson just the way by Sam Decker has been playing. So if I had to pick a winner, I'm going to pick Wisconsin by about four points, five points in this game. Wow. Well, without a doubt, it's certainly going to be a great game, so uh, be sure to check it out. Uh, tell, them, tell, them what t- tell them what day and time it is and where they can see it, Mark. <laughs> 9 p.m. on CBS so will be tonight's game. So, yeah, make sure you t- tune your channels in for that one. I'm, I certainly will be watching it. Hope you are. Yeah. Now let's talk about some Major League Baseball here. And we're not talking about the Red Sox. No, Jesse, sorry. We'll get to talk about the Red Sox on some other episode. You are such an anti-homer, man. Whatever you want to call it. I mean, maybe I am an anti-homer, but today we're going to be talking about the Chicago Cubs. You know, they probably made a huge splash during spring training. Well, not a huge splash during spring training, but they were being talked about when... There is no such thing as a huge splash during spring training, but go on, please. I said it. I said it anyways. But yeah, Chris Bryant, you know, making headlines across Major League Baseball, just tearing apart the diamond, hitting it about like a 400, 500 clip, whatever it is, got sent down to the minors this week. And so, Jesse, I guess the Chicago Cubs made some moves in the offseason, and a lot of people are saying that this might be their best chance to make the playoffs since they last made it about 2008-2009. So let me ask you, where do you see this team finishing this season? Will they make the playoffs? What's your opinion? I, you know, I just don't quite see them making the playoffs yet. I think they're close. You know, they certainly made some good pickups. John Lester was a good pickup. Jason Hamill was a good pickup. Um... You know, and they certainly do have some good rising stars. You know, Anthony Rizzo is an absolute monster, one of the best young players in the game. Um, and I think he'll just power that offense, continue to lead it the way he has been. Um, you know, Castro's not pretty good, too, and he can only get better. Um, so I think they've got uh, some pieces in place. They're certainly building. Do I think they're there yet? Do I think they're ready to, to make it into the playoffs? Not quite. I think they're in a pretty stacked NL Central division. The St. Louis Cardinals are just one of the cornerstones of the MLB right now. They consistently make the playoffs year after year. And they don't only consistently make the playoffs, they consistently make it into the deep levels of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So St. Louis Cardinals are just good. And also, um, the Pittsburgh Pirates 
have been, you know, getting better and better every year. They're starting to make the wild card more consistently. They're starting to look like a consistent playoff team. Really I said have. that. I said that again, people. The Pittsburgh Pirates are starting to look like a consistent playoff team. If I had said that ten years ago, somebody would have had me committed. Hey, I mean, you know, it's like Pittsburgh missed the playoffs for what, 20, 21 years in a row. They finally yeah. made it like the last two to three. So, I mean, given that, I mean, it's starting to look like Pittsburgh might be a team that's going to stick around yeah. in the NL Central yeah. for quite a while. But I just, I just don't see that Chicago is there yet. They're in a very tough division. You know, they're starting to get the pieces in place. I just don't feel like they're there yet. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, I'm saying. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they surprise me. I've been surprised in, in baseball before. It's part of what makes baseball such a beautiful sport mm-hmm. is it has such a Kansas level. Kansas City from last year. It's Kansas City from last year. Boston from the year before. Um, yes, I can talk about the Red Sox, Mark. We'll um, talk about them some other week, but continue. You know, but <laughs> continuing, you know, that's part of what's so great about ba- about the Major League Baseball is the level of parity that they've got going right now. I think it's great. Um, I think other sports should learn from that. But um, on, but just I don't feel that the right now I don't feel that the Cubs have what it takes to make the playoffs this year. You know, I mean, I was looking at this and I said to myself, if the Chicago Cubs were possibly playing maybe in the National League East or you know maybe possibly some any other division, almost any other division that's not named the National League Central, I might give them a fair shot. But you look at last year, and it took about 88, 89 wins to get the second wild card spot for the National League. Now, can the Chicago Cubs reach that 88 to 89 win milestone to give them a fair chance, assuming that's going to take the same win total to make the second wild card this year? Ah. I mean, they added John Lester during the offseason. That was, as far as pitchers goes, maybe one of the biggest pit, uh, offseason acquisitions in Major League Baseball uh, this past offseason, getting John Lester. Going back to last season, they had probably one of the best young pitchers for the Chicago Cubs, Jeff Samarjic. Wasn't able to do really much of anything with the Chicago Cubs, but, I mean, if they were able to keep him around, he's still a fantastic young pitcher. If they were able to keep him around, I would say that, I would probably give, you know, Chicago Cubs maybe that slight edge over F- Pittsburgh just because, you know, I feel Pittsburgh might have something falter with them at some point during the season. But as far as them make, making the second wild card, I, do, I don't think they have enough pieces for it yet as well because, like you said, you look at St. Louis, and here's just what St. Louis has to their arsenal as to what's going to get them to the playoffs. They have Yadier Molina, Matt Adams, Matt Carpenter, Matt Holliday, John Jay, Jason Hayward, Another great offseason acquisition for them. Adam Wainwright, Lance Lynn, John Lackey, Michael Walker, Trevor Rosendahl. The list just goes on and on and on and on and on. A lot of guys named Adam. A lot of guys named Adam. A lot of guys named Matt. A lot of guys named Matt. So, I mean, yeah. you know, maybe given that, that, you know, maybe, you know, uh, Mike Matheny. Yeah, there's yeah. another Mike right there. There's another M right there. You know, he's finally got that organization. Well, not finally, but he's got that organization continuing in a right spot. As far as Pittsburgh goes, that's my team that's probably going to finish second in the National League Central. As far as Pittsburgh goes, they have some of the best young players in Major League Baseball. You have Andrew McCutcheon, you got Neil Walker, you got Pedro Alvarez. Garrett Cole was a fantastic pitcher down the stretch for them when Francisco Liriano went down. And, you know, look at Francisco Liriano. He was pitching with the Minnesota Twins and a guy that was so used to such so many arm troubles. And that might be what's hanging my hat on here for the Pittsburgh Pirates. If the Pittsburgh Pirates can still maintain a healthy Francisco Liriano, then I think it's um, I think it's going to be my choice to say that Pittsburgh's going to win the uh, the second the first wild card spot in the National League. But you know, if we see the 2013 version of Pittsburgh and Chicago might be able to take advantage of that, you know, I think they have a really good chance at stealing one of those wild card spots. But as you know, in baseball, it's not just all about the National League Central; it's about what you see in all the other divisions too. 
San Francisco is a team that's coming off of another World Series championship, and so I think they're going to be in the running for a wild card spot. You look at the National League, the Mons are looking really good this year. Heck, the Mets are even looking really good this year. So you never really know what can happen. But I think as far as the as far as what the Chicago Cubs have this season, if they do make the it, as far as them trying to make the postseason this year, this will be their best chance since the last time they made it. That's my opinion. I will just say this. John Lester made the cover of Sports Illustrated, so that I think he and the Cubs are in a bit of trouble this year. So, uh, yeah, no, maybe it's the baseball that. version of the Madden curse. We'll see what happens there. I'll, I'll just say that. We hope, uh, we certainly hope the Chicago Cubs the best. They certainly need it after what a hundred and seven years of. I think everyone in the MLB is just permanently rooting for Chicago until they win something. Nineteen oh eight. Yep, that's one hundred seven years. We'll take a break, and when we come back, Anthony Chiasano of the Massachusetts Steel Collegian comes on to talk some UMass men's lacrosse. Their closed game with Fairfield this weekend, their upcoming game next weekend, and more. Stay tuned. This is Inside Park with Marky Mark. Hello, and welcome to the newest edition of UMass Sports Weekly, your source for UMass sports. You look at an 0-3, but if they close out those last two games, they could be easily be 2-1. and We could be having a completely different discussion. But another thing that he strategized on was defense, defense, defense. And the offensive line is finally stepping up this season. They've really showed that they can do what it takes to win a game. And you have Hoskinen who can swing up this way right into the slot while Eichel drives to the net, creating a 2-1-0 in front of Steve Masterless. That can't happen and the Minutemen need to fix that. If you want a chance of winning these games, you have to make sure that the ball gets at the feet of those three players that I just mentioned. And this game was like watched Titanic. It was very entertaining, but you knew how it was going to end. Be sure to check out UMass Sports Weekly Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. only on UVC TV 19. Up to the challenge. And now UMass trying to turn it up the other way. 40 seconds to go, charging across. Here's Fahey. Here's one nice. way back Leave to Fahey. The defenseman scores. I bet you that's his first ever. I don't You're recall. Right. First career goal. Welcome back to Inside the Park. It's time for the Six Minute Man, and today we dive into some UMass men's lacrosse. So, to my right, actually, is Anthony Chiasano, assistant sports editor of the Massachusetts Daily Collegian. Anthony, thank you again for joining the desk today. It's good to be back. Thanks yeah. for having me. No problem. And before we start getting into some UMass lacrosse, we have some good news today that I heard that you are going to become the new sports editor <laughs> for the 2015, sorry, the 2015 2016 school year. So, very much, much congratulations to there. Thank you. Certainly couldn't have gone to a better candidate. Now, let's talk some of UMass men's lacrosse here, what we came to do today. Um, it's sort of interesting. UMass, for pretty much the first half, the teams were trading goals, and in the second half, Fairfield was able to go on a burst and open up a four-goal lead. So, uh, Anthony, tell us about that third quarter. What changed from the first two quarters into the third? It, uh, Coach Canella after the game, talked a lot about this, how coming out of the halftime break, Fairfield switched over to his own defense, and he talked about how that really gave UMass problems. Um, UMass isn't a very deep offensive team. Nick Mariano is a great uh, attacker, but 
that's pretty much it for them. And Fairfield really limited him. They were played really physical with him and didn't really give him any open opportunities. He ended up finishing with that goal and an assist that he seems to get every game, but he did not get the same opportunities that he's used to. So he just talked about how he doesn't have many players like Mariano to really stretch out that zone defense, and that's what really haunted them. And, you know, it's really interesting because, um, again, UMass found themselves in a hole against Fairfield. I mean, this time it was in the third quarter where they found themselves in a four-goal deficit, and earlier this season where they played a game at home against Penn State, it was almost like out the gate um, where they fell behind to, I believe it was a four-goal deficit again to Mm -hmm. Penn State in the first quarter for that game. So just, you were there for both of those games, so just like seeing, what do you think were the differences in in those four-goal deficits between Penn State and Fairfield? I I just think that Fairfield is on a win streak right now, and Penn State was in a bit of a rut. Mm -hmm. That may have helped, but Fairfield is looking great right now. Uh, Yesterday was their fourth straight win. They're playing great defense, getting great uh, play out of their goalie, Taylor Baring. Um, Fourth straight start yesterday, and he just looked great. He really limited UMass um, in the back of, like how I said, that zone defense that was playing really strong. So I think that was just the main difference. Yep, you always got to watch out for those Fairfield teams. I mean, a team that you really look on the schedule, and sometimes you try to overlook them sometimes. But, hey, you know, Fairfield, they're doing a fantastic job with their program down the road from us. But let's move on to the next question here. Now, it looks like the offense regained some momentum after the third quarter going into the fourth quarter as they were trying to cut back into that deficit. But, you know, Fairfield, midway through that fourth quarter, they got two goals over the span of two minutes uh, through the minimum defense and. UMass, I mean, you look at that fourth quarter, UMass held them off for the majority like the majority of the beginning part of that fourth quarter. So uh, what do you think that caused that momentary breakdown on defense? Mm. Uh, well, like you said, offense really stepped up in that quarter. They've got some young contributors that haven't shown the consistency. But on defense, I think Fairfield has a very strong attacking core. And for the most part, UMass was limiting them. Sperry, Sperry I forgot his first name, that's Sperry, um, their main attacker didn't even score a goal. So UMass did a good job at limiting him, but Fairfield just has too many pieces around him in McLinden and Snyder at midfield. So mm-hmm. it, I, in the end, I think it was just too much to handle. And, I mean, you were talking earlier about that zone defense that Fairfield uh, seemed to like to employ against uh, the Miniman offense. And, you know, you watched that game, and it was seemingly as if the Minutemen had real. The Minutemen on offense really sort of had no answers to sort of break through that zone defense. So, when you look at the defensive side of the team, I mean, UMass defense is not exactly fantastic per se, but you know they're not the worst defense in the CAA either. So, do you think that there's a way that you know the defense can sort of counterattack for the um, the Minutemen's inability to break uh, through the zone defense on offense? I think it starts in goal uh, with. Zach Oliveri. During the U- during UMass's three-game win streak, he was really at the brunt of it. Uh, his safe percentage was, I believe, 60-70% around that range. So that was the main difference in goal. But you saw, you saw yesterday, um, he let in a bit of a fluke goal. This something that fell out of his uh, out of his stick and kind of just rolled in. So mm-hmm. if UMass wants to pick it up and down the stretch, they need to eliminate goals like that that just find a way in. And, you know, I mean, of course, it's almost hard to sort of excuse uh, sort of mental mistakes like that, but 
you know, you also got to ask yourself, I mean, would they necessarily have been in that position that the offense had shown up earlier throughout, you know, some other portions of the game when their offense was really needed didn't come through for them. But moving ahead to the uh, latter part of the schedule, they have three more games in the regular season, one more road game against Hartford, and then two more at home against Drexel and then against uh, Delaware to uh, end the season. So really looking at these three games, what do you expect from this team uh, going down the stretch down these last three games. Well, it doesn't get much easier. It certainly does not. Hartford is having a bounce-back year after last year when they struggled. They already matched their total wins from a season ago. They have three conference wins this year compared to one last year. So they're an out-of-conference team, the last out-of-conference uh, matchup on schedule. So mm-hmm. it'll be important to get this win, but really it comes down to those last two games, picking up conference wins. Right now they're one and two. So if they need to get back over 500 if they want to put themselves in a position for CAA playoff time. And just, I mean, we're running out of time for the segment here, so I guess my, one of my last points uh, for this Minutemen team is that you were saying that Nick Oliveri, sorry, Zach, sorry, Zach Oliveri, not, not Zach Oliveri, Nick Mariano, excuse me, oh. trying to confuse my Nicks, my Zachs, and all of it, yeah. Nick Mariano, one of the mm-hmm. better offensive players on this uh, team for UMass, and so... You said that earlier that, aside from him, there really isn't a lot of go-to guys for this minimum on offense. So just these last three games going down the stretch, UMass still has a chance in it, you would like to think. So who do you think needs to be that secondary square, that guy that steps on this UMass offense? Well, Grant Whiteway, he's a senior and experienced guy. He started off the season injured, but since he's been back, he's been pretty important in their success. But I think he needs to be more consistent, get more playing time, get accustomed to playing again. Mm-hmm. And then just looking at the younger guys, the freshmen, Buddy Carr scored two goals yesterday. He did. He's that been, was fantastic. And he, he's been looking good for them. So if they can get him, maybe a Dan Moeller, a sophomore, just mm-hmm. Gianni Biancan, mm-hmm. they're all pieces that could help them moving forward. And, you know, UMass, they have all these pieces around Nick Mariano, and so... There certainly is no doubt that UMass has the offensive pieces to give themselves more goals in games. It's just really important that they sort of connect all those pieces together at the right time. And let's see if they can pull off some upset wins down the stretch. It'll be fun time covering it. Anthony, thank you for joining on today. You're welcome. To read more on the UMass men's lacrosse team, visit the Daily Collegian website at www.dailycollegian.com. We'll take one more break, and after that, Jesse and I will talk some Sarah Thomas, the NFL's first full-time female official. Is the league ready for this? Stay tuned. This is Inside the Park with Marky Mark. Welcome back to Inside the Park with Mark Mark. I'm your host again, Mark Jean-Louis, again joined by Jesse Mayfield-Sheehan, and now we're going to talk some National Football League. Well, kind of National Football League. Uh, on Friday, Saturday, the NFL announced that it was going to be ready to hire their first full-time official, female official in the National Football League, Sarah Thomas. And 
here's her resume so far. She, she wouldn't exactly be the first female official. We had a female official that was a replacement during the 2012 lockout season. She's officiated in high school, I should say, officiated in high school, and also in Conference USA in NCAA football. So, Jesse, let me ask you, is the National Football League ready for this? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I think it's taken way too long. If the NFL is taking this long to have female officials, what what are they doing? I mean, it's absolutely time for them. It's beyond time for them. I mean, throughout this past year, they've just created such a horrible image for themselves. Um, and, you know, with the whole Ray Rice incident, with all the domestic violence incident, and since then, they've just been trying to create, they've been trying to do some damage control with that, trying to say, okay, we are not, basically they're trying to say, that we're not, we're not anti-women here. We're, you know, we're not a bunch of, you know, macho jocks who are just all about the testosterone. And I'm not saying that's all that this is about, um, because, but... Also, this is just a, this is, I feel like this is a good move. I feel like this is forward progress for the NFL, that they're finally hiring a female ref. I think it's a good thing. Um, I don't know how much more I can say about this, just because, you know, it's the first hiring, um, and we haven't, you know, seen her work in the NFL, but I don't see how this could be anything but a good thing for the NFL. I mean, when I look at this question, and I ask myself, is the National Football League ready for this? I mean, first, I ask myself, I'm certainly ready for this. I mean, like, I, I agree with you. I think it's, you know, it's definitely about time that the National Football League has installed its first full-time female official. Again, she's not, she wouldn't be the first ever. She, there was a female official that was a replacement official during the 2012 season, but she, uh, she would be, Sarah Thomas, the first full-time yeah. ladies official in the National and, Football League. And you know what? You mentioned that there was a female official during the era of the replacement rest a few years ago. I didn't even notice that's that's the thing. I mean, everybody's. T- I mean, you talk about whether or not the the, the, the league is ready. I'm wondering what is such the, a big deal about this. I mean, why is it, has it taken them so long to have a female referee? These are the officials. These are people that you know. If they do their job right, you don't even realize they're there. And I mean, even when the replacement referees who weren't necessarily doing their job up to par, I still didn't notice there was a female ref there. You know, so it's just like, I mean, this is good for forward progress, but at the same time, it's one of those things where you hope that as it progresses more, you're hoping that people will realize this doesn't matter. This is not, it shouldn't make a difference whether the officials are male or female. It's just that it's one of those things where it's, if it's the first person, then it's going to be a big deal because it's sort of like crossing a barrier. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the same thing we encountered with Michael Sam last year, right. where he was the first openly gay uh, player to be drafted. Everybody's like, well, what's all the big deal about Michael Sam? Well, it's because it's the first it's person. It's the first, that's why. You know, everybody would like for it to not be a big deal, but in order to do that, you got to get past the first person to do it. You know, you got to get past the first few people to do it, and once, once you've got it to the point that, like, it's a nice mix... Um, whether it's a nice mix of male and female officials or a nice mix of, you know, straight and gay players or a nice mix of whatever. Whatever it may be. A nice be. mix of whatever. You know, a ni- just a nice mix of people. Can we just say a nice mix of people? Um, In a politically correct world, yes. It would be nice. But uh, once you've got that nice mix of people, then you realize it doesn't matter and it doesn't make a difference. And my hope is that this is the step towards that. That's 
it's all, that's all my feelings. So. And, I mean, just to go back to what you said, I mean, a lot of people didn't even notice that there was a female official during the 2012 uh, lockout replacement official season, but I, I think a large part of that was just because, you know, they got those replacement officials in there in such a hurry that, you know, maybe it sort of fell through the cracks too, a little bit. Too busy obsessing over that Green Bay-Seattle game. Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, as far as, again, like I said, I think, I mean, I'm certainly ready to see this. And, I mean, you know, the one thing that I'm worried about is, you know, like, you know, for example, you know, maybe not everybody in the league is so accepting about a female official. It's almost inevitable that some players are not going to accept it. And, you know, some people may question, well, oh, I mean, the highest, the highest level of football that she's ever officiated before was in Conference USA. That is absolutely nothing compared to the National Football League. And I'm just saying to, I'm just saying to herself, it's like, you know, she's an official. The NFL is obviously scouting her to be an official for the National Football League for a reason if they think that she's good. So if the National Football League thinks she can do a good job and she can go on the field and prove that she can do a good job, then so be it. Yeah, I honestly think there's going to be some of that pushback, but I feel like the majority of the pushback is going to be those people that say, why are we talking about this? This shouldn't be a big deal. And, and to those people, I just say, yeah, eventually it won't be if we can get past this hurdle of the first one. We should talk about the first one because right now it's an issue that there are virtually no female officials in the NFL. And once there are more, once it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman when trying to become an official in the NFL, once that doesn't matter, once there's you know a more even number of people, then it won't matter. And then you won't hear about it, okay? And just my last parting shot on that uh, topic right there. You know exactly sort of the tainted image that the, NFL, the National Football League has, you know, oh, yeah. Ray Rice battering women and all that sort of thing. And so, I mean, maybe the NFL doesn't feel obligated or forced necessarily to instill their first full-time female official, but... Uh, maybe a little. Okay, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little maybe bit. A, a little bit. <laughs> not that I'm saying that the NFL is only doing that just because they feel that they're forced to. Gosh, but I hope not. I would hope not. I hope not. But again, you know, just given everything that happened in the National Football League, this is certainly the best time to be happening. Actually, it's even a little bit too late for it to be happening. But you know, yeah. better better now than you know later on in the future. Absolutely. But for now, in the world of sports, aside from soccer, of course, there of are course. winners and there are losers. So today on this show. We're going to uh, award our winners and our losers the past week. So our winner for this week goes to Corey Gluber. On Saturday, the 28-year-old signed a five-year extension with the Cleveland Indians worth $38 million. Last year's Cy Young Award winner went 18-9 last year with a 2.44 ERA and 269 strikeouts. And it looks like he will be playing for a serious playoff contender this year under manager Terry Francona. So hats off to Gluber. Uh, I mean, you always look at Terry Francona, it's like, you look at how hard he has failed over in Philadelphia, he comes over to the Red Sox, brings them to two World Series, now coming over to Cleveland, sort of just rebuilding that franchise over there, and Corey Kluber, I gotta tell you, he's becoming one of the dominant pitchers in the American League, was actually able to knock off Felix Hernandez for the Cy Young last year, and that's certainly no easy task to do since he's been dominating that award the last couple of years. So again, again, my hat goes to Corey Kluber as well. But with winners, there are always losers. And today, our loss on this show goes to Courtney Banghart. The Princeton women's basketball head coach finished second in the voting to Florida State's Sue Semro on Saturday for the Associated Press Coach of the Year Award. You may remember that Princeton women's basketball, they began their season at 30-0 as the last remaining undefeated team in women's college basketball before they lost by 15 to number four ranked Maryland. And... and uh, I mean, you, you go undefeated in the regular season, you get bounced by a tough Maryland team in the tournament, and this is what you get? Seriously? I, it's, it's certainly tough. I mean, you know, Bangor did get 
put, did put in such an effort, really did sort of rebuild that Princeton team this year. But it just shows, I mean, winning the regular season award in any sport just doesn't mean all that much. <sighs> well, at least Calipari won the coach of the year in the men's, men's team. And, well, I mean, you really just couldn't avoid that one. But. Yeah. But anyways, now it's time for a closer where we get one minute to answer you, the listeners' questions. Email to us at itpmarkymark at outlook.com. We've got four questions today, so Jesse, let me ask you the first one. 43-year-old Jeremy Yager, excuse me, says that he feels he can play until he's 50. Can he? Well, I'm sure he can play until he's 50. I mean, he'll be dead at 51 if he does it, but yeah, sure, he can play until he's 50. Go for it, man. Former VCU head coach Shaka Smart is on his way to coach Texas. With him gone, will VCU still be the best team in the Atlantic Town on a consistent basis? Uh, I, I really don't think so, honestly, because VCU wasn't really anything before he showed up. Then he shows up, brings them to all these tournament titles. Now he's leaving. They might just fall into mediocrity all over again. Kentucky lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four, but even given that, could you still call them the NCAA's best team of this season? You know, I know I just said that the regular season award doesn't mean much, but I also said much earlier in the show that we can't undermine just all that Kentucky has done this season. So, yeah, as, as much as it pains me to say it to you, yes, they got they are the best team this season. But now, very quickly, MLB season's coming up, and tonight it's an NL West showdown between the Giants and the Diamondbacks. Who will start off 1-0? You can never really count out the defending champion San Francisco Giants. Even though Arizona's getting better and better as the seasons go by, I'm going with the Giants to start off at 1-0 this season. But that'll do it for us, and if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the Inside the Park with Marky Mark Podcast free on iTunes. I'm on Twitter at Mark underscore G93, at, that's M-A-R-C underscore J-E-A-N 93, you can follow me there. And Jesse Mayfield Sheen is on there as well at J-G-M-S 88, follow him there. And follow Anthony Chiasano from the Daily Collegian at A underscore Chiasano 24, that's A underscore C-H-I-U-S-A-N-O 24. Like the Inside the Park with Marky Mark page on Facebook, and keep emailing those questions to us at itpmarkymark at outlook.com. We certainly love answering your questions, don't we, Jesse? Oh, absolutely. So much fun. <laughs> for Jesse Mayfield Sheehan, I'm your host, Mark John Lee, and that was Inside the Park with Marky Mark. We'll be back again for more next week. Until then, take care, enjoy the national championship and opening day, and as always, thank you for listening.